We are as a church, too, as I catch you up to speed, a couple of things, especially for those of you that are new uh, here or visiting for the first time. Uh, we're on a series, the six-week series on the church, where it came from, how it's organized, all that sort of thing. And during this series, rather than what we normally do, which is read a scripture and then pray and then go into the sermon. Uh, These weeks in this series, we're going to use a number of scriptures that are going to be included right in the sermon. Uh, So that is your prefatory remarks. So it is my intention and aim to preach the living gospel to the people of God today. Let's pray that you're ready and I am too. Will you pray for me? God, we all came in different ways this morning. Some of us read the paper and relaxed our way into this particular time. Others of us came through a flurry of Cheerios, hairspray, and shaving cream and barely got in the door on time. But we're all here, Lord, and we're glad Because we love to sing your praises. We love to hear your story told. We love to be part of the community of faith. And Lord, we're glad we're here. So prepare our hearts, Lord, to hear your everlasting gospel, to hear that which you would desire us to hear, which may be different from person to person. But give to us, Lord, the ears of spirit to hear what you drive towards us today. And Lord, bless the pastor as he stands before us, because he's a man no stronger no more infallible than any of us that are gathered here. Inspire him with your wisdom so that as he speaks, he may be driving towards the gospel and encouraging people towards that great day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father God, we have no other aim than this today. In advance of your great miracles in our lives, in advance of the profound hearing of this message, thank you, Jesus. Amen. What is the authority of the church? That's what we've come to today in our sermon series. What is the absolute or the actual authority of the church? Now, there's many ways to look at the word authority or what that might mean. Just even in our culture today, there's many ways to look at it. I have a friend named Jennifer Daniels, and she's this pastor that that is a very good preacher. But I want to tell you, since she's from Kentucky, when she preaches, her accent lends authority to her words. You ever been to a good southern preacher? She says, now friends, I want to tell you about Jesus. I'm like, you're reeling me in already. You, you've got that accent, it lends authority to it. We know that. And I, there's other ways to look at authority, though, too. As some of you may know, my office faces Walgreens. A- and earlier this week, uh, there was some, a scuffle over there. A lot of good things happened in the Walgreens parking lot in this particular moment. Not a good thing. But, but the authorities came along with red lights and handcuffs, and they solved whatever it was. So, so, so we look at the authorities that way. And then some of you know, um, have heard this story, so I apologize for saying it again, but our governor, Governor Branstead, uh, loves telling this story about the first day he was elected governor, you know, way back when we were children. He was there at the breakfast and going down the line in the Capitol building like they do that day. And according to him, and I don't know if the story is true, he just tells it a lot, that that he got his links of sausage, then he got his egg over easy, and then he got the two pancakes. And as he moved down the line towards the the butter and the syrup, there was a lady there, and and she quickly took one pat of butter and put it on his pancakes. And he said to her, can I have another pat of butter? And she said, no. 
And he said, do you, do you know who I am and the authority I have? And she said, no, do you know who I am and the authority I have? He says, no. She says, I'm the woman that has authority to give you one pat of butter. Move on. You know, we, we all come to authority in, in different ways. But in Scripture, there are four basic functions for the word authority when it's used. There's four basic functions. The first is the authority that gives us the freedom to decide and the right to act without hindrance. In, in the words we use today, we're given the authority of free will to do as we wish, to obey what we want, to affiliate with whom we want. God gives us the authority over our spirit and person. Secondly, authority is used in, in, in terms and in function of power, ability, and capacity to complete some sort of action, which is to say that Jesus had the power and the ability to forgive sins. The disciples on the day of Pentecost were given the authority of speaking in all different languages of the world to to tell people about Christ in the language that they could hear. But they were, were given the capacity to complete an action that God had in mind for them. Third, that there is authority is used in reference to authorization, which is to say something like you would say, on whose authority do you, do you say this? Christ clearly said that he was here on the authority of the Father. When Paul was going out towards Damascus, Syria, he had letters from the high priests in Jerusalem. He had the authority of the high priest to persecute the Christians. And the disciples, as you just heard in that wonderful song that they sang just a moment ago, were given the authority to build the church of Christ here in the world. They were authorized to do so, as are we. And the fourth way that authority is used in the scriptures is the way often we use it here today too, is the authority within a specific realm. That means you, you, you have a sphere of, uh, of influence in, in, in a civic government or something like that. And often at, at this service, we, one of our men, uh, Tim Eisenberg, attends here, and he's the president of Lindmar School Board right now. And, and in that school board, he has incredible authority. But if he walked into the Marion Independent School Board... They'd say, thanks for visiting us today, right? Because his sphere of influence, is, his realm of influence is there, not here. And, and that's the same of local police. That's the same as us. I'm the pastor of this church. If I walked across to give the good folks at the Presbyterian Church some words, they'll say, well, sit down and pass the offering plate. They, but, but our relationships in, in that kind of authority when you're, are, are, are put in place and they're accepted by, by the position that someone is granted. You're entitled to give rules and you have responsibility to have authority. Now, when we look at the scriptures and how that type of authority is used, it's the fact that Christ is placed above all realms of authority. Okay, so there's ultimate authority too. Christ is placed above all realms of authority and he then delegated it on the Mount of Ascension in the, in the resurrection appearances. He delegated his authority to the apostles and the primitive church and he delegated it for what our choir just said, which was to build the church. And there's been no repeal of that instruction. There's no, been remo no removal of that delegation. So that authority rests on the church in every single generation, including ours. So scripture and church tradition then offer the authoritative norm by which we live. So today, 
We're going to concentrate on four definitive directives to the church that are there in church tradition and most importantly in the scripture. So number one, the church has the authority to teach the word of God. No surprise. We have the authority to teach the word of God. And, and, and there, while there are many scriptures that lean into this, let me share with you one. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, 14 and following. But as for you, now he's talking to a certain group, but we're hearing it, so it's for you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, that's all of it, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The church is to teach God's Word. And it starts by teaching that which is basic. When we don't know the fundamentals of scriptures, there's no reason going to the deeper parts. None at all. Scriptures are primary for faith and doctrine, and I want to tell you, a cousin of authority in matter of scripture is fidelity. We are to have fidelity to the scriptures in a teaching, in our teaching, and learn the basics. You know, years and years ago, I played for a very successful Hall of Fame high school football coach. And any of us that were playing in that era and co- were coached by Dr. Thurness know this. When you went to practice, you were going to do the basics. I played right next to Rich LaHue, which is first team all-state elite tackle. And from the very first day of practice, the beginning of the year, to the very last day of practice before our last games... We did the same basic blocking drills. Rich could have made a video on how to block. But every single day, we did the basics. Because Coach Thurness's policy, which I think is great for Christian learning, was we're not going to practice till you get it right. We're going to practice till you're unable to get it wrong. There's a difference. We're going to practice till you can't get it wrong. We teach and learn the basics. And then when, 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 we, when we teach the word of God here in the church, when we know the basics, then we know them to become wise. We know them to grow. See, infancy in faith cannot imprison us. When you're an infant in the faith, you can't have that as a permanent condition. We need to grow. We need to reach further. And the wise in the faith have complete commitment to the wisdom of the scriptures because of what they, they've known, because what they've come to know by, by trial and error and by learning the basics. And I'm going to give it to you to test this simple way. You ever heard this term? Well, actually, I'm just going to ask you, what does lefty Lucy mean? Yeah, you screw things off. If you want to get something off, you turn it lefty Lucy. Here's how Pastor Mike learned that. Seems intuitive to you all. You're laughing internally or you've completely dozed off. So when I was a high school student, probably 15, 16 years of age, I worked for a local company and the front tire of our van went flat. Now remember, we did not have cell phones on account of they had not been invented yet. And we were not close to a pay phone and probably we're that age, so we didn't have 
probably a dime or a quarter or whatever it costs to make the phone call. So we thought to ourselves, we've got to change this tire. Have you ever changed a tire before, Tiny? No. Mike, you ever changed a tire? No. Well, I'll start. Well, he was a full-time employee, so he decided we got the tire all right. He got the, we knew what the crowbar was. He got the crowbar, and he put it on there, and he pushed as hard as he could, and he snapped the first lug nut off. So like any guy, he thought, well, that's not right. So he did it again. So now we're down to three or five lug nuts. And he says to me, Mike, I'm doing it wrong. Why don't you do it? Well, I did it the same way he did. I snapped the next two off. <laughs> we're down to one. Then the owner of the van, the owner of the company, was called and said, we got a problem. And he came out. And he says, listen, if you don't learn anything else today, Lefty Lucy. Say it after me. Lefty Lucy. We're standing out here on 10th Street. Lefty Lucy. Lefty Lucy. I'm never going to forget that. Because I've snapped off a lug nut or two. And I've become wise from my knowing in that particular matter. Wise from our knowing and what we've experienced about. Jesus is Lord. And I've become wise from my knowing that that is true because I've seen my life without him as Lord. I've seen the parts of my life and the the eras of my life where he was not my Lord. And I can tell you with all that I know, with all the wisdom that I can conjure up, that Jesus is Lord because I've seen my life without me. Just as clearly as I know that you've got to turn a lug nut to the left to get it off, I know that Jesus is Lord because I have enough experiences to share me that. And, and we teach that in the scriptures. And scripture is to be used as our main life tool in all things. In the movie Grand Torino, some of you have seen it, Clint Eastwood stands in the garage with, the, with the, the, the person that he's mentoring and says, any man can fix most any household problem with these three tools. And he gave him a roll of duct tape, a can of WD-40, and a pair of ice grips. These are the basic tools you'll need. That's what he says. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us, Paul tells us, the Old Testament writer tells us there is no problem, there is no scenario, there is no celebration that Scripture does not equip you to face. It is the only tool that you will need to live your life. It's the only authority that you'll need to learn. So the church teaches the gospel. Secondly, the church has the authority to share the gospel. Now there's a difference because teaching is didache. That is us sharing it what it is. That's being clear in our teaching. Sharing is a you thing. Sharing is one to another. That's a give and a take thing, just like it sounds. Listen to what Paul says in his writings to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish it their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. We have that responsibility to share the gospel. But but here's where it starts. It doesn't start with responsibility because responsibility is a difficult thing. It has to start with passion for and burden for. Passion meaning your heart burns for those that don't know Christ. And burden means you can't stop yourself from wanting to carry them along. That your hope and, and, and your, your drive for them is so deep. And, and, and to me, 
to have passion and burden for the lost means that we, we need to ask God to give us a purposeful vision that shows us, beyond a shadow of our doubt, that a world converted is better than a world that is not. Before we're able to do anything, we need to be able to see in our own mind's eye a vision from God that shows us that a world converted to him is better than one that is not. And so I, I come along as your pastor and those of you that are visiting today, I'm grateful you're willing to listen. But to ask you this question, do you truly see, emphasize truly, do you truly see the world as better with Christ as the Lord in every realm? Do you, do you truly see that? I mean, is that your passion and, and burden? Do you want that for your life? Do you truly want Christ as, as the authority over every aspect of your life? You know, you're human and fallible likely, like I am. So the answer at some points is, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I want that because that, I kind of want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. But, but the Christian call is, as we share the gospel, is to understand that, that first we have to want the complete conversion of our soul, to completely live under the realm of God. And after we ask ourselves, do I really want that for my own soul? We have to ask, do I really want that for everyone I know? Do I really believe it's possible for everyone I know? By the way, it is. Our limitations are there. God's is not. Do, do, I, do I really want that? Do I want every soul? And, and consider what that means. Consider what you have to put out in sharing to help friends that are far from Christ or cousins that are far from Christ or brothers or children or whatever that are far from Christ. Consider what that means and what it could mean to them. And be heartbroken. See, because I think one of the biggest problems in the North American church is that we stop being heartbroken for those that are outside Christ. We just say, well, they're not church people or they're not Christians or, you know. I would tell you, <laughs> if you know them, they're not done yet. If you can speak to them, if you can hear them breathe, they're not done yet. So don't you decide when Christ is done with them, for he is not. And be compassionate because people are way more drawn by love than they are by hate. Way more drawn by caring than they are by violence. Way more, you know, people see you and they know right away whether you're unloving or loving. They see right away whether you actually care for them or you have some other agenda. We say that in other persons and I would say this, that we need to be compassionate because the church doesn't need bludgeons or bullhorns. That that's not how it works. It needs lots of friendship, lots of conversation, lots of helping of others. And this, by the way, is what you're ordained for, you're consecrated for, when Christ delegated the church to you and me. And we need to reach using every available means to connect people with Christ and motivate them for the gospel. And you need to make sure that you're reaching with what you have, not with what I have. You know, if all you got is duct tape, WD-40, and a vice grip, use that. Don't say, man, I wish Mike would open his garage door because he's got that big, cool craftsman's toolbox and there's all a bunch of stuff he's accomplished. No, just use what you have. 
And I want to give you a list of some things I know that people in this church have used. And I'm going to say this is including but not limited to. You know, we have some guys in this church that are part of a Christian motorcycle gang. And they go to motorcycle festivals all over the Midwest just to have a Christian tent, just a tent where they can sit and listen to guys that have had problems. And by the way, at every gathering, not just motorcycle gatherings, there's people with problems that want to just talk about problems that they've had with drinking, drugging, relationships, all that kind of stuff. We have friends here in our church that are relentless about inviting people to look at media, whether it's links on the computer or videos they send them or or hand them them or taking them to movies. Because I don't want you to miss the fact that while maybe they're not perfect to the scripture, you know, films like Risen or God's Not Dead or something like that can still draw people towards Christ. Here's a little, for instance, you can do the Methodist raise only this high. You don't have to come all the way up. But how many of you saw that movie Noah a few years ago that had Russell Crowe in it? Okay, so you saw it, right? And do you remember in that? Here's what I think was true about that movie. There was a guy named Noah, Noah, There was a flood that had a huge ark, and he had three kids. That's about where the truth of the gospel story stopped in that movie. Because in the middle of that, the biggest character were these rock angels that came together to fight. I've read Genesis. It's not in there. But here's what I know. Millions of people saw that movie, and, you know, we're doing these U-version studies of the Bible. It's, It's in your bulletin. The three days after Noah was released, more Bibles on people's phones, tablets, and computers were downloaded than any other three days in the history of version. Invite people to media because your friends are pretty smart. They're smart like you are. And they're engaged. Your, your, your family members are saying, get... If you can help people think, then they move. You can invite them. Many of our friends invite people to events like the puppet show. Next week, we've got a pancake breakfast that'll benefit uh, two of our young women, one, one little seven-year-old girl, one a 19-year-old college, high college freshman that, that will, will help them. But you, they can see us reaching out. We've got Bible school. We've got bell choir stuff. We've got the U version I mentioned. You have conversations and questions every single week where you say, if you're really paying attention, you say, I could teach the gospel right now. If you're really paying attention... I don't even think it's that hard. But remember, I said, reach to people with every means available to you. And give a true testimony. Give a godly and living witness to what you know. Not to what I know, not to what Vicki knows, not to what Keith knows. Because your witness is just first living in accordance to what you believe. People see what they see. If you say one thing and do another, all you're known as is a liar. But people see what you do. And then, of course, witness, which is to simply say, speak your truth, the truth of your experience. I've had so many people come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Mike, I come to these things at the church and we have these amazing testimonies and my testimony is so boring. All I did was live life and find Jesus was at the center. That's your testimony. Your life is not as boring as you think it is. You just were never a drug dealer that were traveling cocaine and got saved by Jesus. Okay, fine. There's like really actually just only a few of those. Most of us just woke up living a life, going to work. And somewhere along the line, as Jesus was searching for us all the time, we found him. Tell that story because that's probably what your friends are. Not very many of you are friends with uh, cocaine cowboys, my guess. Right? Nobody said yes. I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) Erase that from the internet. And of course, we're always preaching. The best form of preaching that you ever have is one-on-one. You know when you come in here on Sunday morning, Pastor Keith and I, of course, we think we're built and sent to preach. 
But our best preaching, his preach, best preaching, Vicky's best preaching, my best preaching is always one-to-one because it's hard to ask questions here. And most of your learning is at the end of your questions, not, not at the end of our testimonies or presentations. And so when you are with other people, you have to understand that when they're asking questions, they're asking you questions. They want your answer. They want you to be able to pour the gospel into them because they're asking you. They're not me. And don't be unfaithful to the idea of persuasion. Persuasion for trust in the Holy Spirit. Urgency and motivation. Persuasion is a positive thing. I want you to hear that. And I'm going to put it to you this way. Again, you can use the other hand this time, but we'll do the Methodist raise. How many have you have ever fed a baby? How many of you have ever fed a baby? Okay, a lot of you have. The rest of you, I apparently just hope for the best for your children. All right. Well, I've got this grandson. And, and so you're like, you scoop a little food and you go, mm, you're going to love these sweet potatoes. Mm. You know, and he bites it and you're so excited like that. But I'd never do that at home saying, oh, Mike, you're going to love this potato. Okay, it's all about persuasion. It's all about, you know, sharing is, is about persuasion. I, I, I bought a car a couple years ago and, and I went into the dealer. And I didn't know Seth before I went there. He's my best friend on Instagram right now. But he, he, I didn't know him the day before I went in. And I walked in there. And when he saw me, kid's only 25 years old, but I'll tell you what he's good at, selling cars. And when Seth saw me, he, he didn't think to himself, man, I hope this old man buys the car. Yeah, that was not his goal. He aimed to persuade me to buy a car that day. That was his sole mission and guidance, and he was very good at it. It didn't actually work for him, but I did buy it later, but not that particular day. But his aim was to be persuasive. A few moments ago, in this service, I heard this congregation sing this. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I didn't write that hymn. I didn't pick it for this morning. But alongside you, I sang it. And when I sang it, I thought to myself, I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation. And I thought, how many people in Pastor Mike's life in the assembled congregation's life, have never heard the story of salvation that is so sweet for us to tell because those who proclaim it sweet to tell have not told it to them. The church has the authority to share the gospel. Third, the church has the authority to disciple its members. Jesus says in Matthew 28... Then came Jesus to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. My district superintendent, Kiboko Kiboko, calls us frequently to check in with us. And his most recent call to me had one question. He said, Pastor, how is your church discipling its members how are you discipling your members i don't think he was ready for my answer 
I think sometimes that answer just goes to some of my pastoral friends and they say, truly, well, we're hoping and we're preaching and we're teaching. But Pastor Mike has an answer. And I hope those of you that are part of this church affirm it. This is how we disciple our members. Seven things. A church has an entry point class. We actually have two. One of them today, by the way, if you're visiting, so if you can stick around, we have a newcomer's class. How do you like this commercial? Right into the sermon. We have a newcomer's class down the hall in the hospitality room at both 945 and and 11. If you're wanting to join our church, we have a new member's class. And if you've ever been to that new member's class, we focus around what we're called to be. We talk about how we became the United Methodist Church. And we simply say, these are the things that we commit to when we become a member. Prayers, presence, gifts, witness, service for the church. Number two, we have an entry class. Number two, members are expected to be part of a small group for study and life growth. You've heard a lot about this. You're going to do what you're doing, but I'm saying our expectations are there. Members are expected to attend a Bible study that will challenge them. Don't go to basic Bible if you've already been to Disciple 7, 8, and 9, right? Start where you're at and keep moving up the biblical knowledge change. Members are expected to attend corporate worship. We never have held back the fact that this is not the only worship you should have every week, but as a corporate community of faith, we should be at worship here together. Members are expected to participate in ministry or mission beyond the local church. So the simple question is, have you ever heard of Marion Cares Fly or our mission to Haiti? In um, UMCOR, those kind of things? We expect, we expect to be a strong missional church because we have strong missional members. Members are expected to read and study the Bible, which is why right now we're putting the U version Bibles out there right now. And members are expected to pray for the church. Interestingly enough, in the United Methodist Discipleship Plan, the word money, financing, tithes does not come up for me. Because if you do those other seven, we don't have to worry about the rest. We do not. Members are expected to be Discipled. The church has the authority to disciple them. And here we go. Lastly, the church has the authority to discipline its members. Everyone sits forward on their seat now. Jesus charged the church with the responsibility for her members. Those who are not behaving as Christians are to be held accountable, is what Carl Lancey says. When we were getting ready for our 175th anniversary celebration, writing the book, um, about, well, our anniversary was last year, but the preparing was two years ago, Pat Kloffenstein, who was, is very much involved in the Marian Historical Society, brought to me a document that was several pages of handwritten notes, and it was the notes of a church trial that happened in the first Methodist Episcopal Church. That's this one. And the church trial was this. It was based on the fact that a wife was being very disobedient to her husband. She was cavorting and moving around. He went to her. She didn't respond. He brought elders of the church to her. She didn't respond. So they had a church trial. And at the end of time, they kicked her out. Now, we're not going to go to that right now. But you are pretty uncomfortable right now, right? I want you to be. And I will tell you that you may have talked to many people, I hope not, but you may have talked to someone that said, oh, I got kicked out of my church. And um, at least if they're talking about Marian Methodists, unless they're one person that I know of, that would not be true. Because I've only had one person at the time that I've been here that Pastor Mike Morgan went up to him and said, you have got to go. And that was just because they were putting our children in danger. So... So, 
we still have this responsibility to discipline its members. And the worst thing to do would be to kick anyone out. So it goes like this. Matthew 18, it says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out that fault. Ooh, that's hard. Don't want to be the pointer, don't want to be the pointed at, do we? But we are both in those places, if we really look at ourselves closely, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, and by the way, listening here means transition of behavior, transformation of behavior. If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Understand this, that these are the guidelines that Jesus is giving us for those who sin against us. These are meant for Christians not unbelievers. These are sins committed against you, not others. You, in this case, are not the advocate for another person. These are sins committed against you because conflict resolution here is the goal. And conflict resolution here in the scriptures is pointed at the church, not at the community at large. Although I truly believe in our world today, the the Christian church needs to be part of the resolver of conflict in our community at large. But here's why. Because as people, not just Christians, we tend to do the opposite as what Jesus tells us to do when we're wronged. When someone wrongs us, we turn away and we think towards resentment, revenge, we engage in gossip. But Christians, I'm here to tell you today that you're not to attack or destruct in any situation. We're commanded to seek resolution and we're given the authority to to look for reconciliation so Christians can live together in harmony. We go to the person that's wronged us first, and then hear this, because it's the hard message, and then forgive them as much as they need. Not as much as we want to give, but we forgive them as much as they need. For, as Titus says, or Paul says to Titus, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people, that's us, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Then these things are what you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So the church has the authority to teach God's word, to share the gospel, to disciple its members, and to discipline its members. We intend, as your leaders, I hope you know, to hold fast to these truths, to hold fast to that authority that Christ has given and granted us uh, to lead the church and, and we endeavor to be part of the church that was laid out way before we came along. I'm talking about the historic Christian church. And so that when we go, you and me, it will be the church of Jesus Christ founded on these principles. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, God, we, we love you and we care for you and we desire to be as you would have us be. Lead us, guide us. Let us submit to your authority, not because we are... Uh, forced to, but by, by because we're convicted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.